Happy Sabbath. You know, we need our own church building because my head elder just told me sometimes life is like a sitcom, right? So I had to go, since we're renting, I had to go through the water to open the door for this area so I can change. And then on the way out, I forgot to unlock the door, so the door is locked. I'm going to have to wait till the water goes all the way down so I can go across again to open the door so I can get my stuff. We need our own new building, amen? amen. We wouldn't have these issues. Open your Bible with me to the book of Matthew as we conclude, as we start to conclude our series on the Sermon on the Mount. There's only two sermons left today and next week, and I'll be preaching both. And so we are in Matthew chapter 7. Beginning in verse 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Now, if you've been following, right, the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, by the way, before I go, in January, I'm going to be doing a series where I'll be preaching all of the sermons on how to live a godly life in the last days. Right? As we see the things going around us, wars and rumors of war, how can we live godly in the last days? When Jesus Christ himself told us, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth? Right? It's going to be so bleak that he himself asked, is there going to be faith in the earth when he returns? He also says that iniquity will abound, that the love of many will grow cold. May not happen to us. So that series will begin in January, How to Live Godly Lives in the Last Days. So we've been covering the Sermon on the Mount, and the sermon is considered the greatest sermon ever preached, and it's nearing its end. He's preaching it, but he's nearing its end. Put yourself in the shoes of the listener. This up-and-coming preacher was the talk of the town, the talk of the time, rumors swirling around about the miracle worker that's going around from Galilee, who he might be. They were hoping that he'd be the one to get rid of their oppressors, the hated Romans. Yet instead of preaching a rallying cry type sermon of let's go get them, or the day of vengeance of God upon his enemies, he preaches a totally different sermon. He preaches them the Beatitudes. Wait a minute. I have to be poor in spirit? I have to be a person that mourns? I have to be gentle? I have to hunger and thirst after righteousness? I have to be merciful to the Romans? I have to be a pure heart? I have to be a peacemaker? I have to count it as a good thing to be persecuted? I also have to be the salt and the light to the world. He teaches them about the law. He teaches them about controlling your anger, about lust, about divorce, about vows, about retaliation, about not retaliating, about loving your enemies, giving to the needy, about prayer, about fasting, about money, about worry, about not judging others. And all of this is flipping their whole point of view upside down. They were expecting a military leader, someone who was going to lead them against the hated Romans, not this soft stuff he's preaching. Jesus has been preaching a sermon to them that has been flipping their world upside down, and now Jesus 
Listen, now Jesus, not even having to be divine, and this is important, because preachers do this all the time as you're viewing your audience. He probably knows by now, as he's nearing the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he knows in their mind what they're thinking. And he doesn't even have to be divine to do this. He's almost done with his sermon, and he knows they are probably thinking to themselves, this is impossible. I can't live the way you're asking me to live. I can't be kind to these hated Romans. I can't go the extra mile. I hate them. All I want to do is retaliate. How can you ask me to live my life contrary to what I've grown up living? I can't be merciful to the Romans. I can't pray for my enemies. I can't go for the extra mile for someone who hates me. I can't be the salt and light of the world. I can't obey the law. I can't control my anger. I can't stop my lust. I have been divorced. I can't keep my vows. I want to retaliate. I can't love my enemies. I can't give to the needy. I can't pray the way you've asked me to pray. I can't fast the way you have asked me to fast. I can't give money the way you have asked me to give money. I can't stop worrying and I can't stop judging these hated Romans. He knows they're thinking, I can't be the person that you've asked me to be in this wonderful sermon you've been preaching. And that's why he says in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open. He knows that you can't do it in your own strength. It'll never happen. No way, no, no how. You can be given a million lifetimes in your own life. You cannot forgive the person who has wronged you. Unless it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, as the pressure is mounting on what they realize they can't do for themselves, he's telling them, ask, seek, and knock. For everyone who asks receives, verse 8, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask? See, our Heavenly Father knows that in our own strength we can't do this. Our Heavenly Father knows that if it was up to us, we will hold that grudge until God comes back again. But it's easy to look at the Jewish people of their day and tell them, look, change. Jesus has given you the way to change. Ask, seek, not. But what about us? What grudges are you holding? What people have you not forgiven? What worries do you have about money that we should leave at the throne of grace? How's your prayer life? How's your devotional life? How is your relationship with keeping vows or wanting to retaliate and get vengeance? 
How are you being the salt and the light of the world? If it was up to us, we couldn't do it in our own strength. But if you want the power, if your desire is to live like the Beatitudes, to be among the followers of Jesus, ask and he will give you. Seek and you will find. Knock and he will open the door. You know, when we hear about ask, seek, and knock, too often we think of it or interpret it in this way. Ask for that Ferrari, and he'll give it to you. <laughs> seek for earthly treasures, and you will find them. Knock for business opportunities, and the doors will open. And although God cares and does provide for our needs, what he wants most is to change the listening crowd then and the listening crowd now into the likeness of the Beatitudes in our hearts. For as we said earlier, if you want to find Jesus, you will find them up among the people who exemplify the Beatitudes. So Jesus invites the listeners and me and you If you're lacking any of these attributes, ask. And if you're a kid, and we are all children of our Heavenly Father, but remember when you were a kid, a little kid, asking is such an intimate word when you think about it. We tend to ask things of people we are close to, not total strangers. Also, as children, we ask our parents the most. We ask them birthday gifts, Christmas gifts, and other miscellaneous things. And it's a vulnerable position to be because if you're asking, it's because you don't have. I remember asking my mom for things, and that was different, totally different than asking for my father for things. If mom said, you're going to have to ask your father about that one, I wasn't always sure I was, I had the strength of the stamina to hear the lecture that was going to come for asking for a measly $20. But it's not like that with our Heavenly Father. Just the notion of asking is a form of intimacy that he longs to have with each and every one of us, his children. When you ask from a biblical standpoint, is because you recognize your need. I need you every day of my life. Do we sense our need of Jesus daily? Do we sense our need that without him, how much can we do, the Bible says? Nothing without him. Then there is a notion of seeking. You don't really seek for that which you don't long for. If you really don't care about it, you pay no mind. A couple of weeks ago, we lost a water bottle, and one of my kids' water bottles at a church we were visiting real far south, and we were like, yeah, that's two hours away. We're not going back for that bottle. <laughs> right? We just get you a new one. But when it's something that you long for, when you need to leave the house quickly and you can't find the keys, you're desperately looking for those keys. Too often I see the stress on my daughter's eyes when they're looking for a toy that they lost and they know it's in the house and they can't find it. Oftentimes they have seen the answer to prayer because the Bible, well Spirit of Prophecy teaches us that whatever stresses a kid is equal to what stresses us. So if they're stressing over it, we take them to the Lord in prayer. And when they find it, 
you see the joy in their face, for they have found what they have been looking for. But for us adults, it could be the answers to life, life's questions that we're looking for. Perhaps we're looking for a spouse or clarity on whom to marry. And those questions we seek with desperation, we seek with all our hearts and minds into it because we know we don't want to make a mistake in those moments. And then there's a notion of knocking. Too often we come all the way and don't take the final step to surrender to Christ. I remember the first time I went door to door working and it wasn't for the church. When you are new in financial services, one of the things they teach the new investment advisors is go into a neighborhood and start looking for business. And in the planning session, you know how it is if you've been door to door working for the church. In the planning session, you can see it all going perfect. You knock on the door, you make the sale, they want your product, they want to pray, they want Bible studies. You imagine all the success you're going to have. But the moment you get out of the car and start walking to that first door, you begin to forget the success you've imagined and think of all the negative. Sometimes we come to the Lord and then we get scared of what the Lord may ask of us. What he may ask us to give up, and we stop short of making a full commitment to him. He invites us to knock, but in reality, he's the first one knocking on the doors of our hearts. These people listening to the sermon aren't sure they can come all the way and ask God to make them the way he just preached. It would change their whole paradigm around. Instead of hating the Romans, they would have to love the Romans. Instead of hating the person you hurt, can you pray for them that they may surrender and be with you in paradise for all eternity? You've heard me say before, the quickest way to understand where your heart is, is can you pray for your enemies and wish them well? You want to know where your heart is with Christ? Can you pray with the person who raped you? Or pray for the person who raped you? Or stole from you? or cheated, or robbed, or perhaps murdered one of your own children. Jesus is flipping their world around, and I hope he's flipping our world around. We can't live like the world asks us to live. Fight for fight, hate for hate. We are to be the salt and the light of the world. We are to pray for our enemies, whether they are on our side or on the other side of whatever political war you think is being fought in this world. God has children both in Israel and in God. And God can change Saul to Paul. He can change anyone in Hamas to a follower of Jesus Christ. Anyone in Israel to a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's not so much about hearing a sermon. And knowing that you can live up to that sermon. But it's about desiring, finally getting to the point where you say, Lord, I can't live this way. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, 
and I'm going to knock, and I'm not going to let you go until you begin working in me. Because you have promised that once you start working in me, you will complete it until you come back in glory. And that's why in verse 12 he says, and everything, and everything dealing with the Romans, or for us, anyone who has wronged you, in, ev in everything, therefore treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophet. Do you have trouble with doctrine? Do you have trouble understanding some things? Worry more about being surrendered to Christ and treating others the way you would want to be treated. And then the Holy Spirit has promised us that He will guide you into all truth. But you can't act like the devil and want to know the doctrine of Christ. You can't be as mean as the devil and want to know the purity of Christ. You have to let the Holy Spirit change you. Ask, seek, not. Not once a week on the Sabbath, not once a week on Sunday, not once a week for the rest of your life. Every day in the morning, ask, seek, knock, make me like the Beatitudes. And if you have trouble, it's summarized in verse 12. Treat others the same way you will want them to treat you. For he says, this is the law and the prophets. You want to summarize all the scripture? Love your neighbor as yourself because you can't do that unless you love God with all your mind body and soul and he concludes here we conclude in verse 13 and 14 after making them realize that they can't live up to them and inviting them to ask the Lord in prayer to ask seek and knock Summarizing it then to treat others, including the Romans, as they would want to be treated. Then he invites you and me to enter through the narrow gate. For, gate. for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. All things being equal. You and your friends are going down a big river on rafts. But far in the distance you see that there's going to be a fork in the, in the river. There's going to be a fork in the river. And you notice that one fork is wide, real wide, and the other fork is narrow. If you just drift down the river... Guess which side you're going to go down? The wide side, all things being So in other words, what Jesus is telling us is, if you want to follow me, and if you want to enter the narrow way, then you have to be intentional about our relationship. I have to be intentional about my relationship with my spouse. I cannot ignore her or the children and expect for the relationship to be in good standing. You can't drift your way through Christianity. You can't drift your way through the Sermon of the Mount. Because if we drift our way to the Sermon of the Mount, we do not recognize how far and short we fall from the ideals that God has placed. But in Christ, I can do all things. With His strength, I can live that life. 
with his indwelling spirit in my heart. As I grow more in Christ, I will begin to reflect the Sermon in the Mount in my life. That's why in Matthew 25, they're like, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you naked and clothed you? When did we see you in prison and visit you? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. They were so deeply living the Beatitudes in their lives that they didn't even recognize all the good things they were doing. They weren't even recognizing that their light was shining brighter and brighter until that day that Jesus Christ comes back. So what is it going to be for us? Are you going to ask, seek, and knock? Are you going to make it a priority to treat others the way you would want to be treated? And when the world offers you the broad way or the narrow way, bright lights, big city, or the humbleness of following Christ, you can't drift your way into a faith-saving relationship with Christ. For one, He's always after you. He's always pursuing you. He's always whispering in your ear, come home. But then once the invitation is given, we must open the door of our hearts and let the power of the Beatitudes begin to change us, the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll close with this thought. See, everything you see in the Beatitudes, and we have one more sermon next week, but everything you see in the Beatitudes, Jesus himself embodied when he hung on the cross for you and for me. Did he love his enemies? That's why he died. Did he go the extra mile? He left heaven to come to get you. Did he give all his money? Well, he gave all of heaven. The treasures of heaven were in him and he poured it all out for you and for me. Were we lost? Yes, and he sought us with the desperation that only a God can have. Every step in the Bible that God has taken has always been towards us. Adam, where are you? He sought us. And as he hung on the cross there, he forgave his enemies the crucified. But it wasn't just the Romans. It was you. It was me. My sins put him there. I don't have to think of anybody else's sin. I know what I have done. I know the life that I have lived. And he died to save me. So he doesn't ask for you to live out the Beatitudes. And he hasn't lived them out himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will believe in him, whether Hamas or Israel, whether Jew or Gentile, whether friend or foe, will not perish, but have everlasting life. So the invitation to us is enter through the narrow gate. 
There are many distractions in this world that will pull you into the Broadway. But as my favorite preacher likes to say, I've never known, C.D. Brooks, by the way, I've never known a sinner to truly surrender to Christ and ever regret it. This world does not have enough for me to accept the riches of this world and forego the riches of heaven. Because I want to be in the place with the person who changed my life from sinner to saint. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the two precious souls that were baptized today. I thank you because we can't do this on our own. But you have promised us if we parents know how to give good gifts, you will give us the Holy Spirit if we would just ask, seek, and knock. Father, may every person here, may every visitor here today leave here with an understanding that you are waiting for them to come home. That you will pursue them until their final breath. And in the end, Father, the choice is theirs. But you will never leave them nor forsake them. May we all surrender to you and live out the Beatitudes in our hearts. In your Son's precious name we pray. Amen.